Leslie Martinez and Juanita Pierre met in the late 70s. They fell in love, raised Juanita's kids together, and in the early 80s, they opened the first black lesbian bar in New Orleans. It was called Les Pierre's. Um, tell me about starting the club together. How did you get the idea to open a club? Leslie. Okay. I kind of talked the head to it. I was working for the sheriff department. So she knew that running and operating it would have to be on her. And she had my oldest sister, Dot. Everybody loved Miss Dot. Miss Dot was the manager and she did all the financial parts of it. But we did it for us, for the women. Because at the time we didn't have anywhere to go but Charlene's. And I don't know if Charlene's had changed hands at the time or not. No, she hadn't changed hands. She hadn't changed my No, but we. We needed some place to go. And Juanita had been wanting to open up a club. So we said, well, okay, we're gonna try and do this. Welcome to Last Call, an oral history project about New Orleans' disappearing dyke bar scene. If you've been keeping up with our podcast, you might know that in the last two episodes, we featured stories about two of the most beloved bars on the scene in the 70s and 80s. I say scene, but scenes would be more accurate, since there were at least two, a white scene and a black scene. For years, queer women of color gathered at private house parties, creating their own community spaces outside of the bars. Some, like Juanita, would go to black gay men's clubs, and those who had white friends might wind up at Charlene's. But before Leslie and Juanita undertook their labor of love, that was it. Here's Juanita, then Leslie. Yeah, we were the first black female club. We were. I think Pauletta and uh, Manchester did Pinstripes and Lace after that. They were after us. Yeah. Yeah, I would help them put it together, remember? But I think it was one more before them, though. Was it Alice Paul that put him, or was it after them? Yeah, this was after them. Yeah, this was after them. Was it Lee's fault? It was a whole lot different ratio. It, it, it really was. And once they started opening the black female bars, I think once one closed, like I said, another one would open up. This has been the longest since we've had a, haven't had a black female bar. This has been the longest. How would it feel different going out at a white female bar or a black female bar 
would there be a difference in the atmosphere or like how you would feel being out? I think we're the wrong people to ask that because we blend in wherever we go. Uh -huh. The only difference to me would be the music. Uh -huh. That would be the only difference to me and then I still get up there and do something. Always the dance floor, always the music. You know, the music was always fantastic. Mm. Um, they always had the best DJs. You may remember Donna Bashay Kilborn from previous episodes. Among the stories she's told on our show was one of being tokenized in white bars like Charlene's. She's the founder of an organization in New Orleans called Living in Progress, abbreviated LIPS. Lots of dancing, lots of lots of lots of close dancing sometimes, you know, that and uh that was that was my thing. I used to, I loved to dance, mm -hmm. so I was always on the dance floor. But people would come in and they they they'd sit at their little tables, you know, and they were little tables, or they'd sit at the bar. A lot of people, um, or hang out. You know, you could kind of tell who was single and who wasn't. How could you tell? Um, because they hung on to each other. You know, it's like. The butch women were very, you know, don't come, don't come by my woman, you know. But um, very dark, smoky, um, but always a lot, a lot of energy. You know? And there was a lot of, um, a lot of sexual energy was going around, you know. Because people would come there, they'd bring their repressed sexual energy uh -huh. in with them, you know. And, uh, you know, the, the flirting was unbelievable. Women don't flirt like that anymore. <laughs> how, would they, how would people flirt? Oh! <laughs> oh! <laughs> well, you know. She needed ice, he'd call on to me. Uh, or if we needed change. Yeah, that, that was my friend. And, and I, she and Jean, the poor boy sandwich shop, we helped one another. 
Les Pierre's was on the corner of Rampart and Pogger. That's just around the corner from Charlene's, a very popular, mostly white lesbian bar we featured in our last episode. Jeans was just If someone had come to my bar to give us a problem, we would call and let Charlene know. Because nine out of 10, they were either hated that way, or if they went to her and gave her a problem, she would let me know. Because we, we kind of, we had to, we were right on the line with each other, same side of the street, everything. So we, we kind of stuck our neck out with each other. Charlene was my lifeline, and I tried to be her lifeline. And then we both had a little extra lifeline with Jean. So, like I said, it was nice. This all takes place in a neighborhood called the Marigny Triangle, which is situated right next to the French Quarter, or Vieux Carré, the city center of nightlife and it gets a lot of action. This strategic location also enabled them to attract a variety of clientele. Sundays was my day. I love Sundays. I'd open up early on a Sunday morning and that's when the queens were coming out of the quarters. So we were the last trackers. We were at the foot of the quarter. We were on North Rampart Street and they'd come out of the quarters and come to us. And we would have a heck of a good time on a Sunday morning up in there. We would actually walk the bar. We would get on top of the bar and walk the bar, the guys and I. And that was my best time on a Sunday morning. What time of day would that be? No, early Six, in the morning? Seven, eight in the morning. So they're coming off the night before. Yes, they would be leaving out and I'd be coming in. That was my turn. And the guys and I, and they would say some of the craziest things in the mornings. Oh, they would talk about each other. Where did she get her boots from? At the doctor behind the dumpster. And we would actually have a ball of a Sunday morning. It really was. Actually, drag was a vital component of life at Les Pierre's. What would be going on on a Friday or Saturday night? Show night. A lot of the, per se, drag queens started in our club, started off in our club. Um, they were young and whatnot and coming up and just learning how to dress and put on their makeup and stuff like that. And today, some of them are very well known. You know? Like who? Well, Carolyn Fox. Um, uh, Pichon, of course, Pichon is no longer with us now. Um, Gypsy McLean, well, well, Gypsy McLean is in Monroe, evacuated after. That's, that's where they made their start. But they weren't the only ones. They had um, little drag shows in there, or drag shows with women, which, you know, I'd never seen before I went I in there. I started a little group called La Femme. First male impersonators was LaPelle. And it got bigger than I thought it would. We would do so much. We would do so much. We, we had props. We used props. And yeah, we did a beach like scene. We bought in the sand. Yeah, they had the sand and the tree stumps and all that. Because they did, what was the name of that song by uh, Cool in the Gang? One song we did, Secret uh, Lovers. I remember Secret Lovers, and we had the park bench, you know, with the uh, 
the light, the uh, pole light and whatnot to make it look like it was a park scene and whatnot. You know, we would try to do a lot of props so that you really actually felt that you were in that setting. Above and beyond. While they ran the bar, Juanita and Leslie went to great lengths to ensure that their customers were happy and safe. For example, this is what would happen when women got too drunk and, uh, at the bar. My lady used to want to make me bring them home. Because many of them, they would get so... And she would tell me, Juanita, you know they can't drive, you're going to have to bring them home. And I'd tell her, baby, I'm not a taxi. But I would bring them anyway, that's common courtesy. You hear that? Leslie and Juanita had a sense of almost parental duty toward their customers. But maybe that's because they were parents. The kids would come down to clean the bar on Saturday. Saturday afternoons, right? Yeah, and then we'd have the spade turners to Saturday. It was Saturday mornings for the kids' time in the Because bar. we would bring our kids, and they would bring out their friends, and they would take out the trash, wipe down the clothes. You know, we were closed. Yeah, they were clean. And we would let them shoot pool, give them cold drinks, popcorn, and I like Saturday morning. The children would come down. They the Pac-Man machine. Yeah, in the jukebox, and they would invite them who they wanted to come. In return, y'all have to clean the boy. So they would clean the boy, and we would serve them cold drinks, coffee, and, and it, 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 we had a balanced life. We really did. Despite its prime location and the niche it filled, the bar wasn't exactly a cash cow. Leslie and Juanita have a theory about that. It was rough because women don't come out like the guys do. And they don't tip like the guys do. They don't consume as yeah. much alcohol. Yeah, right. They don't drink like the guys do. do. They really don't. So it was rough for a while. But um, we managed to stay open long enough well, we stayed up for like eight years, maybe. Eight to ten. Anyway, from Yeah, I think it was like eight years. But what happened was we lost the lease on the building. And right. We, and we had put all our stuff in storage in one of our other properties. And then and, and, and someone broke in and stole everything. So we said, well, that was the Lord's way of letting us know to just hang it up, you know. But uh, we did pretty good. Yeah. No complaints. Leslie and Juanita are still going strong. 37 years. And counting. Thank you for listening to Last Call. This episode featured the voices of Juanita Pierre, Leslie Martinez, and Donna Bechet-Kilborn, with interviews by Rachel Lee, Hannah Pepper Cunningham, Bonnie Gable, and Sarah Pick. This podcast is produced by Rachel Lee, Peter Bowling, and myself, Free For All. Peter and I make the music. Our Queer Stories hotline is up and running. You can call us at 504-507-0364 and tell us a personal story from your own queer life or leave feedback about the podcast. 
Or you can email us at dykebarpodcast at gmail.com. Better yet, if you have the means and would like us to include your story in the podcast at some point, send us a voice memo through the email. Last Call's core organizers are Rachel Lee, Bonnie Gable, Aaron Roussel, Barrett Hebert, Blue Rain, and Sarah Pick. Stay tuned to lastcallnola.org for future episodes, bonus pieces, and for information about the theater project to which this podcast is a companion piece. Speaking of which, thank you to everyone who came out to the show last week, and congratulations to the cast. I've heard nothing but rave reviews. Oh! <laughs> oh! <laughs> well, you know. Let's dance. Um, what's the name of Lee's bar? Hell, baby, I don't know. I'm lucky I can remember Rachel now. That's the name of Lee's bar. <laughs>